Tappers, what's up? It is the Daily Tap for Friday, January 22nd. Coming to you is a lunchtime edition. Sorry for the delay. I know we do have some tappers who listen to the morning, who like to listen to the morning, can maybe do it on Saturday, maybe do it on Sunday. Um, but uh, sorry for the little delay your boy has off today. Boy wanted to get a workout in. Uh, so here I am. And also, too, your boy doesn't have a podcast studio again. Now, I'm still at my house, but they had to do some construction work, had to clear it out, and I had no place to really put my mic. So I'm taping this over Zoom. Um, hopefully, it comes through nicely like we do with our Tabbing Kegs. If you haven't listened to Tabbing Keg episode 400, make sure you do that as well. Um, we have a good show today. We're going to talk about the passing of Ted Thompson. We'll also talk about the passing of Bank Aaron which happened uh, not too long ago, about an hour, or was announced an uh, hour, hour or two ago. And then we will talk about the Bucks lakers reaction, kind of where we go right now with the Bucks. How should we handle the Bucks not be, being able to beat good teams? And then lastly, we'll do Should I Bet My Team, talking about Packers and Buccaneers. We'll also talk about Bills and Chiefs in that segment as well. So really good show today. I'm excited for it. Oh, also, too, I might talk about how Dan Campbell's fucking hard-o, and I can't wait to beat his ass. Uh, but we'll we'll get to that later. Um, I'll try to see if I can find that in at the, at the very end. But packed Friday show. I'm not going to leave you hanging here. Let's get into it. So as you know, Ted Thompson passed away unexpectedly yesterday. He was 68. Uh, Ted, they have not said what he died of. Uh, we do not know that yet. Ted obviously was a very private person, and one person that, I don't think everyone knew the full story on. Now, Ted was harshly criticized by a lot of people, a lot of Green Bay Packer fans, even though that Ted Thompson delivered a Super Bowl champion and a perennial winner. I can't say enough of what Ted Thompson means to this Packers team now, as well as what it was in the past and in the future. They're still... There will be remnants of Ted Thompson's legacy with the Green Bay Packers for who knows the next five years, the next 10 years, you know, Ted was around for a very long time and Ted Thompson, you could argue had more of a long-term impact than Ron Wolf did. Now Ron Wolf obviously brought a Super Bowl and a Super Bowl appearance to the Green Bay Packers, but there was more of Ted Thompson's sort of, pause on everything going forward and I just there's such an appreciation for him that I have and I've always sort of respected Ted Thompson one of my favorite things about January specifically is I used to be a big Facebook status guy just like everybody else right just everyone was everyone was a Facebook status guy back in the 2010s so when the Packers were going on their Super Bowl run they were basically like tweets, right. Of me saying, where are all the Ted Thompson haters at? Like come at me because remember so many people despise Ted Thompson. There was fire Ted Thompson.com. There were Facebook groups about firing Ted Thompson, mostly because they got rid of the Lord and savior, Brett Favre and how unpopular of an opinion that was at the time. And I always rode with Ted on that. I love the fact that Ted stuck his heels in the ground and said, this is exactly what we are doing. And we are going forward with this quarterback because we believe to him to be special. And sure enough, Aaron Rodgers is one of the best quarterbacks that has ever played. I think Aaron Rodgers is better than Brett Favre. If you put him head to head, I realize it's a different era, 
But if you had, if I had one game and I had to win one game and trust one quarterback in the fourth quarter, I'm riding with Aaron Rodgers, not Brett Favre. And Ted Thompson never cowered. Ted Thompson didn't get it, give in to the public pressure. Ted Thompson rode with his dude and stayed the course. And that is extremely impressive. And everyone should admire that. And here are some notes from Aaron Nagler posted this. I don't know if this is Aaron created this or got it from somewhere else. But Ted Thompson has done some legendary shit, almost Hall of Fame worthy in, in the NFL. So between 2005 and 2017, he drafted 20 players that were selected to one Pro Bowl. That is the second most in the NFL. Only Kansas City has more with 21. Out of his 13 draft classes, seven of them were future Pro Bowlers. Four of them had one Pro Bowler. And so 11 of his 13 draft classes had at least a Pro Bowler. That is wild. Seven, seven players, fourth rounder later, were selected to one Pro Bowl. Bakhtiari, Mike Daniels, Al Harris, Micah Hyde, and uh, was that Brad Jones? Did Brad Jones make a Pro Bowl? Holy shit. That, was that Aaron Jones? That's Aaron Jones. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was like, wait a second. Brad, no way Brad Jones had TJ Lang and Josh Sitton. 12 draft picks that made the all-rookie team. He drafted Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Jordy Nelson, Aaron Jones, Mason Crosby, A.J. Hawk, Clay Matthews. They had four all-pro selections this year. All of them were drafted by Ted Thompson. Also, he picked up guys such as Charles Woodson, Tremont Williams. He drafted, I believe, Corey Lindsley. He signed Sam Shields, John Kuhn, Julius Peppers, all of them were either pro bowlers or all pros in Green Bay. So uh, this is a great sort of look at how, what Ted Thompson's legacy means for the Green Bay Packers and what they've done. Uh, Greg Jennings uh, had a tweet that said, you know, thank you for drafting me, RIP, everything like that. And Andrew Brandt, former Packer executive who worked with Ted, replied or quote tweeted and said, we were sworn to secrecy. Ted loved you. Ted had a knack for wide receivers. Remember, Ted Thompson traded down and then drafted Jordy Nelson. And we all, I remember I was at an Applebee's in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And all of us were like, who the fuck is this Jordy Nelson guy? What are they doing drafting a white guy out of Kansas state? And Ted knew Ted had a knack, man. Ted was so sharp. And also, he knew when to let go. He let go of TJ Lang at the right time. He let go of Josh Sitton at the right time, even though it pained the Packers. They also let Mike Daniel. Well, that, I think that was good, Chris. But he has done so much for this organization. And, and yeah, there have been misfires. He probably should have never let Micah Hyde go. Micah Hyde should have been a Packer for life. He should have been in the same conversation as like a Leroy Butler and Nick Collins. That was a mistake by Ted. It happens. And who knows? Maybe it was the fault of Dom Capers. And maybe if Dom Capers wasn't the defensive coordinator for so long, maybe we would have understood how good Micah Hyde was. The fact that Micah Hyde's still playing at a high level for Buffalo says everything you need to know. And yeah, Justin Harold, and there, there were bad draft picks, but we all have them. Ted had such a lasting legacy and has a great tree with guys like John Schneider, who's still running things in Seattle and is highly revered. Brian Gunacoust, who's doing a great job for the Green Bay Packers, and I believe has a lot of Ted in him. 
John Dorsey built winners in Kansas City and Cleveland. And it's actually really surprising that John Dorsey didn't get some sort of executive job this year because a lot of those things that Cleveland did this season were because of John Dorsey. And I know he's not the easiest person to work with, but John Dorsey built that Cleveland roster. John Dorsey started the Kansas City dynasty. John Dorsey it should be in a hot, in held in a higher conversation than he is. I would love John Dorsey to be part of the Packers again. I know there's some cooling that needs to take place with that. I, I don't think they're on the best of terms from what I know. But, but regardless, to, not to distract from that, yeah, and Alonzo Highsmith, Elliot Wolf still is young and, and, can, and I'm sure will be a GM at some point somewhere. Ted Thompson has a real tree. And you can't say that about a lot of general managers. And the last thing I think that I, I learned more than, than anyone, and it was from Jason Wildey and Mark Tauscher, who were, you know, Wildey was in tears. Mark Tauscher was almost to tears yesterday talking about Ted. And I'll admit, like, I started tearing up writing. I don't know why. I, and maybe it's because I kind of got it out. But, like, I was in tears kind of thinking about how much the guy loved the Packers how much he absolutely loved the Green Bay Packers and how all of us love the Packers. All of us do. We all, we all are diehard fans. I think I have more worries in my life than I used to. But when I was 25, I remember telling my dad after we had lost to Arizona in the uh, wildcard round, I was like, dad, I only have like five things to care about and the Packers are one of them. So I take this shit really seriously. But I still do, even though I have a hundred more worries than I did when I was 25, I'm still worried just as much about, or not, I wasn't 25, shit, I was 23 at that time. But anyways, regard, the, the point stands that it still matters to me, but it mattered to Ted Thompson. And you know, Ted Thompson has been watching what Brian has done the last two years about putting this roster together, hiring Matt LaFleur and building a perennial winner again in Green Bay. And they should be so fucking proud. And I know that there are going to be a lot of guys out there. Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, Mason Crosby, that are all going to be winning it for Ted. And I know Cheesehead TV has kind of started that win it for Ted. It's absolutely right. It is win it for Ted. That is what you're doing. And I know his spirit. I know he will be hanging out, watching the game with Lombardi, going down and being one of the Lambo spirits. And if you don't think there are Lambo spirits, you just don't fucking understand football. You don't understand what Lambo field is, especially in the cold and Bart Starr too. And there will be, there'll be a lot of emotion. And there'll be a lot of energy for the Green Bay Packers and rest in peace, Ted Thompson. Uh, thank you for everything. And even if you may not have been a big Ted Thompson guy, I would implore you to do a little research. And I do think as we go on and we, we become nostalgic 20 years, 30 years from now, our sons and daughters will say, dad, Ted Thompson was pretty special. Wasn't he as a GM? And you'll say, yeah, he was. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Hank Aaron too, who passed, uh, yesterday, obviously been a sad week here in the state of Wisconsin. Hank Aaron, a legend uh, in the Milwaukee 
uh, area, uh, Milwaukee Brave, and then he was a Milwaukee Brewer as well. He did a lot of obviously his you know legendary ho- home run breaking or his home his record breaking home run. There we go. If I can talk, record breaking home run happened in Atlanta, but he has a long legacy with the Milwaukee Braves, and he was always part of the Brewers. He visited Bob Euchre. He was very good friends with Mister Baseball, and he was just as much of a legend even though he wasn't part of the actual Brewer community, he was part of Milwaukee baseball lore. And we'll always remember him for that. And he's one of the best baseball players that has ever lived and lost a lot of people this year. And we are not really this year. It feels like when I say this year, I mean, during the time of COVID and it's been really sad. It's really tough. And, you know, losing Paul Horning a couple of weeks ago as well, you know, that people get old and people pass, but you, you kind of just think that legends will never die and they do as sad as it, as sad as it may be. So rest easy, Hammer and Hank. Um, I'm sure the Brewers will do some special stuff for him uh, this upcoming baseball season. All right, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. So the Milwaukee Bucks lost another game. They lost to the Los Angeles Lakers. They are now nine and six, nine and six on the young season. They will not be playing Washington tonight because Washington is still under COVID protocols. Not great for Washington. The real first outbreak of the National Basketball Association. So there's a lot of people, I think, that are pushing the proverbial panic button with the Bucks. Now, I just got on the game review yesterday. You can follow me on SnowTapWI on Instagram and uh, Twitter, where those game reviews live. And I sort of said, you know what? You can't panic. And I keep coming back to the Dante DiVincenzo comment about that they're going to need 20 to 25 games before they really figure this thing out. But I think we're at the point where Bud has to stop being stubborn. Now, I realize that we've cleared step one of Bud's stubbornness. Step one of Bud's stubbornness was, all right, you got to play your guys some more minutes on the starting side of things. And then you're also going to have to switch up your defense a little bit, switch up your offense a little bit so that Giannis can thrive and so that you can do more things to create more opportunities for guys like Giannis Antetokounmpo, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday alike. So he's past that. And the Bucs are still working on that. And that's part of the problem for, for the Bucs and will, I think, benefit them in the postseason. I really do. Like, I know that I, we're not – I'm not trying to say regular season doesn't matter. I was never someone who said that. I did believe that it was a bit fraudulent to hear all these Bucks fans complain and be upset when you guys have been just banging the drum that this – that regular season's meaningless. So if the Bucs were 11 and four, like the Utah Jazz, what, what would we be saying? We'd be saying, well, we got to wait till the postseason. Don't know how this team's going to do. We're just going to wait till the postseason. So you can't have it both fucking ways. All right. Like you just fucking can't. And it, either you're going to embrace this struggle and you're going to be patient or you're going to be impatient. And that's your choice. But not to kind of take me off this my stubbornness point stubborn point number two now is that Mike Bunholzer has to try new things with the second unit. He just has to. 
The fact that Tory Craig is not getting any minutes makes no fucking sense. Look, I understand that Tory Craig is not a defense or not a offensive mastermind, that he's not going to go off and give you 10 points off the bench. But you know what Tory Craig's going to do? Tory Craig's going to play some defense. He's going to dig in. I don't think LeBron James has six three-pointers made if Tory Craig's out there or KCP has seven three-pointers made. I don't think that happens. And that was the big reason why the Lakers won this game were KCP and LeBron from deep. They made 13 of 19 of LA's threes. LA shot over 50% from three. Torrey Craig would have helped that out. Jordan Nora and Sam Merrill have proven to be scorers off the bench. You have to start experimenting. You have to start giving guys some more minutes and start understanding that right now your second unit is good enough to beat a Detroit team. It's good enough to beat even a Cleveland team who's 500 at the time or at the time of taping, but you, they're not good enough to beat the Lakers and Brooklyn. So you have to try something else with your bench. You have to sort of shake it up. And if you keep digging your heels in, then what the fuck are we doing? And that is the next step of Mike Budenholzer embracing his entire team. Right now, it feels like Mike is only embracing about nine guys. And I I can't, for the life of me, understand. And I know that they've played good against bad teams, but they haven't played well against the upper echelon of the NBA. And I know that Pat Connington is the Americanized Ersan Ilyasova in his mind. And look, Pat had some nice plays in the fourth quarter against Brooklyn. I shat on him during the earlier part of the game. He came through big. Give him some credit there. But you got to start looking at some different stuff. Pat Connaughton playing 24 minutes, getting the most minutes off the bench is fucking wild. That is nuts. Why isn't that Bobby Portis? Bobby Portis, to me, has been the best player on the bench. And Bobby Portis, the last two games, I think has had 16 and 18 minutes. He might add less against Brooklyn. Bobby Portis, to me, I've suggested this, and... Obviously, he had 14 against Brooklyn and 17 against Dallas. Why isn't Bobby Portis the head bench guy? Bobby Portis had 13 rebounds in 17 minutes against Dallas. Why why is Bobby Portis the one that's kind of getting the shaft here, but Pat Connington is thriving? Why can't Bobby Portis help out on the wing? He probably can't handle him off the dribble. Like, he can't handle LeBron off the dribble. Of course not. But he can at least be a big body for a guy like KCP, who's short. And, you know, maybe make him frustrated on the wing. It makes no sense. So in a weird way, by trying to fix Bud's problem with playing the starters more, he can't understand how to shorten his bench and do it the right way. Because I just wonder if this was the Bucks of last year, would we be seeing more of Portis? Would we actually be seeing Nora and Merrill? And because he's trying to change, he still hasn't figured out how to apply those changes to the second unit. I'm not going to freak out. I I probably won't freak out about the Bucs until like mid-February. They have at least, I think, another five or six games before I'm really starting to look at it and say, all right, this is, this is a real concern. You have Atlanta on Sunday, a team you should beat. Atlanta's decent, but you should beat Atlanta. You also owe them for the Bogdan thing. 
You play Toronto, who's not as good as they've been. New Orleans, winnable. Charlotte, winnable. And then you get Portland and Indiana. Those are two really good tests. And and then a couple games against Cleveland. So before you go on a West Coast road trip where uh, you'll be tested. So those it's all it's all there for the Bucs. I'm not going to freak out. I realize there is a lot of negative energy towards Giannis Antetokounmpo right now. And I get it, right? Like Giannis, is, Giannis has not maybe had the start to the season that I think people wanted to. And we covered that in the podcast with Mitch and Murph that I think they're, the energy of the fans is really missing for Antetokounmpo. And I don't think, this is kind of pinheady. I don't think that the Bucks would start allowing fans to kind of help Giannis, but I wouldn't put it past him. I want to put, if Giannis said to Lazary, like, hey, or Horst, hey, we really need to start getting some fans in here. Like, I, I realize we can't have, you know, a full house, but can we work on a plan? What's the plan? We'll see. And then maybe, like I said, maybe that's kind of pinheady of me, but shall be it. See what happens with the Bucks. Kind of nice to get the Bucks on Sunday night after the Packer game, and hopefully they're successful. Obviously, we'll be watching a lot of, Bills Chiefs, kind of a two-screen kind of evening. As for your Green Bay Packers, we are doing Should I Bet My Team. The Packers are a three-and-a-half-point favorite. The money line is at 190. The over-under is 52. So we have a long way to go. Uh, the, The line is sort of stabilized. We have not really seen any change in the line. The line has sort of stayed the way it is. If I pull up on Odd Shark right now, the money is 56% on the Green Bay Packers still and 56% to the under. Very, very interesting uh, numbers there from our Odd Shark. I really like the Packers in this spot, especially at three and a half. I like it because you can buy that point down, get it to three. I know some people don't like buying the hook. But trust me, I think the hook is always the way to go if if it's a football number. If it's like five and a half, the odds that you get screwed and a team wins by five and you lose your bet is really rare, right? But take that Baylor-Kansas game, for example. Baylor is up by like 15 points. They look like they're covering. The spread is eight and a half. And then some Kansas guy hits a random shot from half court at the buzzer to cover the spread for Kansas. But if you had bought the hook and you got it down to eight, you at least pushed. And now pushing is not the same as winning, but at least you make your money back. So I personally would always recommend the hook. And especially if it's at three and a half, obviously that is not really a feasible number. I don't like breaking through zero. That's kind of the one unfortunate thing about this weekend is it really doesn't allow for any teases. I guess the one thing you could do if you want to do tease would be teasing the over-unders, but I'm not a huge fan of that. I'm I'm a fan of it like in-game. Like if you're like, I think I like the Packers and the over, then maybe you money line plus the over. I don't know. But yeah, the amount of the lack of parlay availability here is is not there, which sucks, right? It's it's unfortunate. But that's how it goes. We don't really have that tease there, money line parlay, obviously there. If you like the Packers and the Chiefs or the Packers and the Bills, we'll get to the Bills game there in a second. So I really like the Packers to cover. I think it's one that you could feel confident. I think it's one that you can feel good about. Um, and I, I think that you can 
be confident because look, we break it, we broke it down a lot, but I just feel that the Packers are playing at such a high level. And I reflect back to that first quarter, first half of the Tampa Bay New Orleans game and Tampa Bay looked so out of sorts and Tampa Bay did not look ready for prime time. Tampa Bay looked very beatable. And if it isn't for a Jared Cook fumble, I don't know if we're talking about Tampa Bay. We might be talking about New Orleans. But instead, we are talking about the Buccaneers because Jared Cook fumbles and it completely changes the game. The Packers don't turn the ball over. I know they did against the Buccaneers last time. There is so much to me that goes towards the Packers. Their defense is so much better than what it was in week six. I really like the Packers in this game. As for the over-under, 52 is a lot of points, um, especially for a Green Bay team that they've been scoring, but they haven't been allowing a lot of points. Like they, they just have not given up a ton of points in the last few games. I mean, if you look at what the Packers have done, I don't think they've allowed 20 points since that Bears game in early November. So they're on a pretty awesome streak of allowing less than 20 points which would make you think that this is an under situation. Oh, they allowed 20 to the Lions, excuse me. So they did allow 20 to the Lions. They allowed 20 to the Bears. But so since that those games, so Bears won two. So five of the last seven games, they've prevented teams from scoring more than 20 points. So if you were to go over 52 and, and uh, the Tampa was only able to get 17 points out of that, you would need a hell of an effort from Green Bay. So I would probably lean under. It might just be a stay away for me altogether. Of anything, I might be looking at the Packer total team over, which is 27 and a half. Right now, the juice is kind of heavy on that. It's minus 135. Maybe going the other direction and going under on Tampa Bay's, which is 23 and a half. That right now is even money as of Friday afternoon. So I, I do like the Packer. The Antonio Brown injury, that broke before we taped. That Antonio Brown's not playing. I think that, again, kind of swings me towards the Packers, swings me towards the under, that there might not be enough players. First quarter Murph, you know, is a thing. We, we like to do the first quarter bets. Packers minus a uh, half point at plus 110 right now. So maybe that's something you grab early because uh, you're getting even money on that. Packer money line is... Minus 160, probably not there. Packer first half, two and a half. That also isn't bad. Packer two and a half in the first half, given how good they've been in the second quarter, is really kind of tasty there too. So those those are all things that I would consider with sort of the just spreads in general. Now, from a props perspective, we don't have a – I don't know if they have all of them out just yet, at least on Bovada where I'm looking. They have touchdown props, so that's cool. So let's talk touchdown props. So first touchdown scorer for the Green Bay Packers, you could go the safe route and go Devontae Adams at plus 275. Not bad juice. I love Marquez Valdez-Scantling at plus 900. I think that is a really, really nice bet. I think it's good, and I think that that is something to, to kind of maybe put a little cheese on just to have it. Anytime scorers where there's kind of some opportunity. Let's see here. Is there, I like Mercedes Lewis plus 650, kind of a big dog play. I could see that down in the goal line. I, I do I do like that opportunity. Uh, Alan Lazard plus 210, not, not terrible. 
I don't really like betting on, on the other team uh, when my team's playing. But if I was looking at those that are that are tasty, you have Gronk at plus 220. Tyler Johnson a little bit more at plus 550. Brady to sneak it in at plus 450. Also kind of nice. So there, there are some really nice ones. Devontae Adams scored two touchdowns plus 275. Wow, that's, that's low. Okay, and also another one that you could maybe dig into, total touchdowns for the Packers, three and a half is right now juiced up at plus 115. So those are, those are all sort of good little odds, good little things to keep in mind. And yeah, you can't necessarily do the teases and the parlays that you'd like. Um, maybe you look into more of the props today or, to, or on Sunday and go that route as well. As for the other game, you have the Bills and the Chiefs. It's a three-point spread. The Chiefs are favored by three. The money line is 165. The over-under is 54. I like the under there too. I think the under actually might be my favorite play there. I just think the weather's not going to be great. You have two teams that defenses have really seemed to dug, dig in. Um, I just think it's going to be kind of a smash mouth game. Chiefs might try to run again like they did on the Bills uh, the first time around. I do worry if it's too soon for Buffalo, but I also I just have not been impressed with Kansas City. And Kansas City keeps sort of getting lucky. And I'm not I guess getting lucky is is the wrong word because that that's to say like it's just all luck for them. But Kansas City keeps kind of getting by the skin of their teeth. And when that some at some point that's gonna bite you in the ass. And Mahomes, who's had like 10 dropped interceptions this year, which I know was that Peter Schrager kind of laughed at that stat. Whatever, Schrags. Um, just get a job with the Rams already. I like Schrags, but he's so in the Rams bag. That's another story for another time. Bills have some guys who like to turn the ball over. They have the Micah Hydes of the world we mentioned earlier. Well, I'm sure we'll be playing a lot, playing for a lot in that one. Jordan Poyer, big turnover guy as well. I think the Bills plus three is is really nice. I think I think the Bills can cover. I think if you like the spread, you might might as well just take the money line too. Um, as someone who has a future on the Bills to win, get to the Super Bowl, you could say, well, Charlie, would you hedge or do you ride it? And honestly, if the Chiefs like looked like world beaters last week, I would say you ride it. I think the spread looks too obvious. I think the public is going to be all over the Chiefs. And now that did bite me in the ass on last Sunday, which I'll talk about here in a second. Actually, I'm wrong. The public is on the Bills thus far. It's 54% uh, the spread, 46% on the Chiefs. The Chiefs, by the way, against the spread this year, 6-10-1. The Bills, 12-6 and six against the spread uh, this season. So there is a little bit more money right now coming in on the Bills, but we'll just have to see what ends up ends up being it. But I, I like the bills. I think I'm going to stick with my bills and see where it nets out. And I, I have the bills and Packers meeting the Super Bowl, and nobody's going to want the Packers to win. And we'll be Packers against the world, which we definitely look forward to. All right. We'll be back Monday. We will talk about everything that happens in the NFC championship game, as well as the AFC championship game and anything else that happens in the Wisconsin sports world this weekend. Hopefully I'll be back on my actual podcast, mic, and we will talk to you guys on Monday. Oh yeah. It might be a little late on Monday. I can't guarantee you I'm going to be doing a Sunday pod because either I'm going to be depressed as hell drinking, or I'm going to be celebrating drinking. And while I do think some of my best podcasts are when I've had a few libations, 
I don't know if I'll have the, uh, the muster to do it. So stay tuned on that front. All right, guys, take care. Have yourself an awesome weekend. Go pack, go. I used to do this all the time in non-pandemic. I'll be watching a game at the beer garden uh, at the deer district with Murph. If you see me, if you're there, stop by, let's have a beer together. I'll buy. I can do that. I can help you out. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll celebrate together. All right. Take care tappers. Have yourself an awesome weekend. Stay warm too.